0: This week's episode of the Fat Packs podcast is brought to you by the Collectible Card Club, Monster Breaks, and all our phone guests up here on the Spotty Hot Cash Hotline.
1: hobbyists, and sports fans around the globe. It's
2: Text message and tweet your friends. Here, with the latest news, events, and hobby happenings, the Fat Packs from Beckett Radio. Paul and Eric. Wait, strike that. <clears throat> Is it Eric and Paul? Either way. Let's get ready to collect stuff. Radio is
0: now live. Hey everybody, it's Eric from the Fat Packs. And uh, we've got the second edition of the Best Of for you right here. Best Of March 2018. And this is going to be a good one. we got got uh, Dan Pashman in the first segment. Uh, I interviewed him from the Sporkful. He's also nominated for a Webby, which you can go vote for. I uh, highly recommend going and give him your vote. Dan, Dan was great. Next up we have... Uh, Once Stephanie Carlson again she she had never been interviewed before this was her 20 her 28th year in the hobby and no one's ever thought to interview her and she gives you a a a nice breakdown of what it's like running a business uh running a card company it's 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 very eye-opening and for a female to be in that position is great because uh there there are a lot of strong women out there that don't that don't get the praise that they're due. And I'm glad that we were able to get her on. And then we're going to end up with uh, the Dodgers' Kyle Farmer. He is um, a <laughs> catcher. We, ch- we challenged him to hit 20 home runs this season. We'll see if he does it. And if he does, he said he would think of us as he did. Again, he also gives a shout-out to Dub. And I'm going to give a shout-out to Dub right now. What's up, Dub? How you doing, Joey? Um, we have uh, all those, and then we'll, we'll come back on the other side, and I'll give you a quick recap, some, some of my thoughts, and uh, a look ahead. So, uh, without further ado, here comes Dan Pashman.
3: This is Tanner from CustomCutsOnline.com, and you're
1: listening to Beckett Radio. All
0: right, guys, we're back after that quick break, and this is a time that we've all been waiting for, especially our boss, Brian Fleischer. He is the the biggest Sporkful fan that I know of. And he his little his little uh, foodie head is uh, popping popping out, but this it's not for foodies. We're for eaters here. So Dan Pashman joining us on the podcast. What's up, Dan? How are you doing?
4: Good. How are you, Eric? Right. Thanks for having me.
0: Man, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, and that's not that's not a lie. My my direct manager. His name's his name is Brian. He has been going crazy about this all week. He won't stop talking about it. So, uh,
4: well, I, I'm I'm happy to be a part of you kissing up to your boss.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that, uh, <laughs> and, and thank you for recognizing those skills. Those are those are uh, kind of tough to come by sometimes. No, totally.
4: I, 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 in the high school yearbook, I won teacher's pet, and so I completely understand uh, where you're coming from. It's an important skill in life.
0: It is an important skill. Uh, <laughs> it's it's how we all make it through life. But let's talk about uh, yeah. let's, let's talk about why you're here. Um. Obviously, your podcast is amazing, but we're going to talk sports before we get into that. We are yeah. a collectible show, and my my friend John Finkel told me that you are a huge, huge sports fan. And I, we were just talking off air. It turns out you're a huge Cubs fan. How'd that happen?
4: Yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, in the same town as John, actually, uh, as a Yankees fan, and I still like the Yankees. But um, you know, I sort of came of age in the late '90s when the Yankees kept winning one World Series after the next, and then I moved to Chicago. Within walking distance of Wrigley Field, and started. I figured oh, I'll adopt the Cubs as my National League team. Started going to more and more Cubs games, and this was before the Cubs had won anything. And um, you know, coming from the Yankees culture, where uh, anything short of a World Series victory is failure, and then coming to a go to a Cubs culture where making the playoffs is a reason to literally shut down the streets around the ballpark and <laughs> dance and sing in the streets. Um, it's just such a different mentality. And I realized, I had this sort of realization that like a lot of being a sports fan is about expectations. And the most memorable moments as a sports fan are the times when your team exceeds expectations, when it surprises you or does something you didn't think was possible. And if you, if, if the goal or the expectation. At the beginning of every season, is that we're going to do the best possible thing we can do, which is win the World Series. Then you never get that feeling of like, "Oh my God, I can't believe this happened." <laughs> um, you know, and and when you're a Cubs fan, you get that almost every time they win. Right, <laughs> that's true. And so, uh, and so, I really got sucked into that culture, the Cubs fan culture. And um, again, nothing against the Yankees; I'll still pull for them when they're on. Um, but I, I definitely you know adopted the Cubs wholeheartedly and moved back to New York and was at a Cubs bar in the city for Game 7 last year uh, until the wee hours in the morning, and uh, it was a lot of fun, very memorable.
0: It's, uh, I, as, I'm not a Cubs guy, but I remember WGN and the day games on uh, on WGN here in the South, and they they've never really been my team but the, the, i've kind of qu- quietly been a closet cubs fan because i remember watching them so much growing up because i would skip school or no my mom didn't hear that she doesn't listen to this anyways so <laughs> uh you know i'd skip school or whatever and come home and they'd be on wgn and there i am watching the cubs so uh, i can completely empathize with your uh cubs affiliation there chicago's a great city too man um great places to eat oh, what, yeah. what's your best what's your favorite place to eat in chicago
4: Oh, my gosh. I mean, favorite place to eat in Chicago.
0: Don't say Giordano's. I I don't like that place.
4: No, I'm not a big fan of Giordano's. Uh, If I was going to go deep dish pizza, I like a place called Bacino's. Okay. um, That I think is really delicious. I know that, like, you know, most Chicago natives kind of frown on deep dish pizza. They think it's like a tourist thing, but I think that it's really delicious. (laughs) Um, And and there's also arguments over whether or not it should be considered pizza. There's the New York contingent doesn't think it should be called pizza. Mm I'm trying to think. I mean, I love a good Italian beef dipped mm. in the juice. I mean, that's just like you can't ever go wrong with that. Um, I love – like there's great Polish food in Chicago. Like there's a place called Podolanka that has like just the most hardcore, authentic Polish food dumplings. I love the dumplings with Maggie sauce on them. That was actually the first time I ever had Maggie sauce, which I talk about on the Sporkful podcast. I love Maggie's sauce. You gotta get the one from Europe that has the MSG in it. it's right. way better. Right. And that the first time I ever had that was at Podalanka in Chicago and so okay. a lot of good food there.
0: Very nice. Um, we we always end up at the Rosemont Center, which is, you know, in Rosedale obviously, it's not quite Chicago, and then but right across the street is Gibson's and that's one of the best steakhouses. I really enjoy that place a lot because you can get a, a prime rib sandwich for eleven ninety nine and I think that's a great great deal. <laughs>
4: Right, that, that is. Yeah, that, that's a lot less <laughs> than what it costs at Yankee Stadium.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, did you collect cards as, as a kid growing up? Or oh, yeah. You, you, you was...
4: Oh, yeah, big time. So, I was, like, obsessed with it.
0: So, that, that's what we're all about here at, at the Fat Packs Podcast. What, do you remember the first pack of cards you ever bought?
4: Ah, uh, the first pack... That's I don't a- know. I remember literally the first pack. I, I can definitely like if you showed me the different tops cards, I could still to this day tell you the year based on the design. I could picture the '86 cards with the mm-hmm. black top and the, the team names written. Those sort of like you know, um, uh, like triangular fonts. And then there was the '87 tops with the wooden background. Right. You know, uh, the '85 had the name in the rectangle at the bottom. And I was like just getting into it in '85. I would say like '84 uh, was you know was the white background with the vertical sure. name, uh, team name, and those I didn't have that many of because it was a little before my time. Like my '85, uh, I started to get into it, and then I would say my most obsessive years of baseball collect car collecting were like '86 through '90 probably. Um, but I had the binders and I would sort them, and I got my Beckett you know uh, uh, price guide, and I would. You know, once a card was worth a dollar or more, that's when it gained special status for me. That's when it would get to go in a plastic envelope. You know, and I would have a little like um, adhesive label sticker to put on the thing that would write the price on. And then periodically, I would go through all the cards and update the values of all of them. And I had my <clears throat> hard plastic cases for the most cherished cards, like the Ricky Henderson rookie card. Of course. Um, or, or whatever it was, and those were in the hard plastic. And then as I got more into collecting and saved up some money, and I had a, uh, a batch of, I don't know, probably uh, 10 cards that I had saved up to buy that were like $50 cards, like a, a, a Carl Yastrzemski card or something like that, from someone who was before my time. Um, and I had the special super, super thick plastic cases for those, with the, the ones with the screws in them that you actually screw the card in.
0: Yes, sir. We, um, we don't like those here. Those those are run cards. But will
4: they? Oh, we see, we didn't know that God, now. You told me that. We didn't I, know I, that I now. I do. I'm going to go up to my attic now and, and, and undo them all. Oh,
0: don't do that. <laughs> we, we were actually joking uh, before, like last week, before we got this all locked down. I said, we should start a series called You're Collecting It Wrong and yeah. <laughs> and do things like don't put cards in screwdowns. downs.
4: <laughs> okay. Well, well, why? It like flattens the edges or something? So
0: what happens is um, typically... I'll give you a good example. The 1993 uh, Jeter SP card, uh, that's his most expensive rookie card. Um, If you were to put that in a screw down in 93 and try to take that card out today, it would rip the front of the card directly off because of the the foil. So it it does horrible things to the cards, and we don't like them around here.
4: Right. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I'm going to go up to my attic when I get home. I'm going to go rescue my, uh, what did I got? I can't remember. I think I got a Hank Aaron up there. Okay. All right. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So But yeah, I, mean, I, I was never that I, I never went as far as to be one of those kids who like went to the shows to sell my cards. I was never like that into the business of it, but I definitely was a pretty obsessive collector.
0: It's uh there are there are many different levels here. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and it's somewhere in between what you just described, an obsessive collector or the you know, the the kid that went and sold his cards or went to go find cards, or the guy that did it nonchalantly. Most typically, when and this is a running theme here on on the fat packs is when typically when a guy gets out of collecting, it's because a girl. So I'm going to ask you, when you got out of collecting, was it because a girl?
4: No, no, no okay, all I, right. I, I, I was out of collecting. I don't know whether this is a statement on uh on the fat on how young I was uh when I decided when I lost my interest in collecting. Or how old I was when there was a woman in my life who actually cared. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but one or the other. I mean, you know, once I got into high school, I would say my I, I still collected, but not as passionately. And by the time I was in college, I wasn't really still collecting at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly can still remember that uh, that feeling of especially like when you would get a whole box like that was just like the best sure and to get to get a box of cards and just sit there and open up one pack after another after another and sort them and organize them and um you know just like such you know getting a great card is just, uh, such a special feeling so i remember i remember that and i had my fleer and i had i remember when upper deck was created i remember that ken griffey junior card number 1 upper deck you know like uh those were definitely all formative collector moments.
0: Yes, sir. Um, you, you've hit on all of my childhood memories as well. So (laughs) congratulations. We're the same age. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very nice. So, um, for those who who don't know who are listening, you are wildly pop, wildly pop, popular for the Sporkful podcast. Uh, you have uh, you're, you're eating it wrong, which we absolutely love, and then you were on NPR for quite a while as well. Um, how did you get your start in in radio, and then turn that into uh, into the cooking channel?
4: Yeah, I mean, I always loved listening to the radio. I loved like morning radio comedy shows when I was a kid. Um, and somewhere in college, I, I just sort of decided uh, – I started off kind of a, a, on a lark. I, I won a prize basically in college where I got four hours uh, on, on, the college, on the local radio station to do with as I pleased, and that was really fun. I was like, wow, being on the radio is fun. And, uh, and so that was sort of the first inkling. And then my senior year of college, I had signed up for an internship in politics. And this was before the internet was that that evolved. So to find an internship, you had to go to an office on the campus and go through binders that had actual pieces of paper explaining the different internships. Okay. You know, like like the Stone Ages. And I, I still remember sitting in the office and I'm going through the booklet of internships in politics and it's like all these very low level all this very low level work for different local politicians and I'm reading them and I'm like this just really all sounds super boring. Uh, and then I look on the shelf and I see internships in communications. So I pull that binder down and it's like, intern at this radio show, intern at that radio show. And I was like, this is what I want to be doing. So I changed courses. I said, forget, cancel internship in politics. I'm doing internship in communications. And I started interning at a radio show there in Boston and, um, you know, just, got, just really fell in love with it. And I just said, this is what I want to do. I want to be on the radio. And, uh, uh, you know, it was a, a bit of a winding path. I did other jobs in media. I wrote for some small newspapers and, you know, hopped around. But, um, you know, eventually I, I got a job at a place called Air America Radio, which was a progressive talk radio network. I helped launch that. I was with, like, Mark Marin and Al Franken and Rachel Maddow. Uh, from there to NPR. And eventually um, a bunch of shows I worked on got canceled. They kept, everything I worked on kept getting canceled which is typical in media, but especially typical when I was coming of age, because there were so many re- recessions, and the internet was throwing everything for a loop, so it was very tumultuous, and I finally it was like, I'm tired of getting laid off. Friends of mine are starting podcasts, and I figured if I have my own podcast, at least no one can cancel it but me. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it will be successful, but at least I know that it will end on my own terms.
0: Sure, sure, that, that's and important. So
4: <laughs> I, So that's what I did. And it was a side project. I mean, this was eight, over eight years ago now, way before the podcasting boom. So it was a side project that I did essentially out of my living room with help from friends for years. Uh, but over time, it led to some web videos for Slate, which led to Cooking Channel. It led to a book deal. It led to this, the podcast getting picked up in public radio. And now I'm at a company called Stitcher, which also makes the Stitcher app. And they've been really great to work with and um, uh, continue to be great to work with. And um, and so it's just, it's evolved into a job. You know, when I tell the story that way, it sounds kind of like this miraculous thing. You know, it was eight it's been eight and a half years so it was a lot of hard work and a lot of a lot of sleepless nights but um but it's pretty exciting that it's it's working out as well as it is now
0: it's a it's a great show uh, i highly encourage everybody to go check it out especially if you're, thank you thank if you're a food guy we're, we're not called the fat packs for anything around here obviously it's a <laughs> it's a play on words but we love our food and uh i really enjoy it you mentioned a name you you said mark maron did you work directly with mark
4: yeah, yeah. I, I produced his morning show. Uh, it's called Morning Sedition. Brendan McDonald, who's still his producer, me and Brendan produced Mark's, uh Marin's show. And, uh, you know, so that's why I've had Marin on the Sporkful a couple times. He's had me on WTF a number of times, mm-hmm. kind of like as a, a fun, uh, like his buddy coming to hang out for a little bit before he gets to the main guest. Sure, um, sure. So, yeah, yeah, we had a lot of fun together. We used to, It was a morning show, so we had to get to work at like 3 o'clock in the morning, so... Uh, when you're getting to work at three o'clock in the morning, you have to have fun with the people you're working with yes. or you will not last long. And uh, we had a lot of fun.
0: Uh, WTF, uh, is the, just uh, if I, w- if you will, the OG of all podcasting, it is, it is a, a great show. I've been listening to it for years and Mark Marin is, he just has his finger on the button it's, it's like him and Corolla. They know what they're doing with the stuff. So, uh, my question about Marin is he as miserable as he appears to be uh during his stand up because sometimes those things are pretty melancholy.
4: Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean I, I I I don't think it's an act with okay. Mark. Okay. Um, I think that he is who he, I mean, I, look, I think that he you know, I think it's an interesting thing for any performer. You, you start off it's funny. In, early in your career, you start off trying to say, well, like, who am I and how do I tap into my true nature and the person I, I really am in order to create some kind of a performance that feels authentic? Because in order for your performance to feel authentic, it has to be connected to a part of, of yourself. So you start off saying, what, what, is the, what, what is the authentic me and how do I tap into that? And then if you're lucky enough to do it for long enough, and do it successfully. People come to know that piece of your, but but typically like that part of you that you tap into yourself that's authentic that you translate into performance is only one part of who you are. It is truly it's true to you, but it's one part of you that sure. translates well into a performance. And so you 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 find a way to tap into that part of yourself to create this performance. And over time, you become known for that style of performance. And then the thing flips on its head. And then instead of you having to tap into your authentic self to create this persona, it's that there's an expectation that you're going to be this way. And you can kind of get a little bit lost in terms of like, well, wait, is this still who I am? Or am I playing a character based on myself? Am I really like, or or am, am I trying too hard to be the person that people expect me to be as opposed to who I really am now? And it can be very difficult because some performers who end up, I think, losing a lot of their magic are the ones who become known for a specific style or, or shtick. And then they feel like they have to keep delivering that over and over again and it gets old.
0: I follow um, what you're saying. That makes a lot well, of sense.
4: Or, or, or others will, will get so turned off by the persona they create that they go so far in another direction that then it feels phony uh, because they're not, it's not connected to their real selves at all. In Mark's case, I think he has always prided himself on being authentic and on tapping into something that's authentically his. Um, and I think that for the most part, it's real. I mean, I think he understands – I think he's smart enough to understand that, that there's a part of his personality that connects with people. And so he, he's smart enough to know that he needs to deliver that. But I think it's still really him. Um, yeah.
0: Excellent. I'm and, i, I wasn't, I'm sorry, I, and that question probably came off a little weird. No, um, no. I,
4: no, that, I love I, Mark. So, I
0: think he's great.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, but, like, but, but I think the most people who love him, part of the reason why they love him and why we all respect his work so much and connect with him is that he um, is very vulnerable in his work. And he yes. shows a side of himself that can be very, that can be dark at times. Like yeah. He you know, has a dark side to him. And so it's a natural question to ask is like, is that an actor? Is that really how he is? Um, and I think Mark's a very, you know, I, I, I don't, I think it's been, it's been cool to see Mark emerge as an actor in recent years, because, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I might've said, I don't know if he, how good of an actor he would be because he can't help, but be himself. Sure. Um, but, uh, but it's been exciting to see that clearly he is a really good actor. Right. Um, so, but yeah, no, Mark, uh, Mark's a really good guy. And, um, you know, in spite of his, his own personal struggles, like he's always been a good friend, and um, you know, I, I love hanging out and talking food with him. You know, we, we he loves to eat and then feel bad about himself after eating it, after eating whatever it is that we ate together.
5: Um,
4: you know, and, and we do a lot of that stuff on the Sporkful podcast. We have comics on all the time. Uh, we you know, it's like our motto, like you said, our motto is it's not for foodies, it's for eaters. So if you're, you you know, I don't, re- I'm not someone who cares about the cool chefs or the fancy restaurants at all. I more just love to eat and wanted to do a podcast about that, um, and so. Yeah, so it's, it's good whether we have Mark or someone else, it's usually a good time.
0: Awesome. Um, let's get back to the food. You, yeah. <laughs> you, you can you can answer, you can solve a problem for us, and uh, you don't know this, but you actually created this problem here in the office, so I'm just going to ask you flat out, is a hot dog a sandwich?
4: I mean, I'm on record here, yeah. Eric, as you know. Yeah. Uh, I believe that a hot dog is a sandwich. I have identified a two-part test to determine whether any food is a sandwich. And I and I I take as my inspiration the Earl of Sandwich. You know why was the sandwich created? It was created because the Earl of Sandwich wanted to be able to pick up his dinner and eat it with his hands. Right. And back then, dinner was like a giant hunk of meat, and you'd have a fork and a knife, and there'd be some bread on the side. And he said, you know, if I just put this meat between these two pieces of bread, then I can pick it up and eat it with my hands, and I can walk around, and I can. Uh, You know, depending on who you believe, he either had a gambling addiction or he was running the Royal Navy. It's unclear, but the point is he was a busy man, and he needed to eat. You know, he didn't want to sit at the table to eat anymore. And so the first rule to me of, of the definition of a sandwich is that you have to be able to pick it up and eat it with your hands without your hands touching the fillings. Yes. Now if it's a little bit messy uh, you know like it could be a it could be a poorly made sandwich and still be a sandwich or it could be a messy sandwich and still be a sandwich but the intent and the basic goal has to be you can pick it up and eat it without your hands touching the fillings and then the second is that the fillings must be sandwiched yes they must they must be sandwiched between two discrete food items they don't have to be bread it doesn't have to be bread um but for this reason, I believe that an open-faced sandwich is not a sandwich. Um, the reason why I think a hot dog is a sandwich: um, clearly, you can pick it up and eat it without your hands touching the fillings, um, and clearly, the, I think the hot dog is sandwiched. Now, the only gray area is: is a hot dog bun two discrete pieces of of encasement? Mm-hmm. And I believe that the hinge-shaped hinge-shaped bun counts because like think about a meatball sub on a on a hinge shape, a hinged bun uh, a v-shaped bun and a meatball sub that's a sandwich no one's going to you know, try to tell me that a meatball sub is not a sandwich right right so if you take out the meatballs and put in a hot dog how is that not a sandwich i think that the hinged bun counts because if you sever the hinge it you know to to make it two separate pieces of bread um it's still fundamentally a hot dog. It still basically holds together. It might get a little messy, but you, ha- you still have a hot dog. If you take a taco and sever the hinge on a taco, it ceases to be a taco. Yeah. And that is why a taco is not a sandwich. It, it ceases. Uh, and it will disintegrate. And so I believe that a hot dog is a sandwich for those reasons.
0: I 100% completely agree with you. And if you break the hinge Thank on a taco, you. it just becomes a tostada. So it's still delicious.
4: Right, right. And, and my <laughs> definition is not commenting on, on the quality of the food. You know, that's one of the things exactly. people get upset about. Like, I've said that, like, a burrito is a wrap, and people who love burritos get upset because they think of, like, crappy American sandwich wraps, like a turkey and cheddar wrap that you get at the airport. And they're sure. like, that's, that's bad, and burritos are good, so don't insult burritos by calling them wraps. And it's like, I'm not insulting them. I'm, I'm just talking about structure. It's not about ingredients. Like, yes, most burritos are better than most American sandwich wraps, no question. But, um, but that doesn't mean that they're not all raps at the end of the day.
0: That's uh, we agree. We're on the same page. We're on the same good, page. Good, good. I'm uh, glad. Um, let me ask you this: What's been? Do you just sit around and, and like think of this crazy stuff? Because you you, you have the sandwich, <laughs> you have uh, the popcorn buttering. How to put butter popcorn properly? Are you just are you a mad scientist in disguise?
4: I mean, I I do have a generally sort of obsessive personality, like I'm always trying to look for ways to improve things. So I'm always seeing problems in different things and like, oh, it would be better if it worked this way. Um, You know, so so that is definitely part of my personality. And a lot of these ideas are things that, you know, (laughs) friends of mine long ago got tired of hearing me rant about, uh, you know, the best way to eat this or that food or the problem with this or that. They're like, they can't believe that I turned this into
0: a job, you know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> this is, when I um, tell my wife what I do, she's like, You're gonna have to get a real job one day, you know. Right. Not, <laughs>
4: exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh it's it's fun to, to watch you work, man. Uh we we enjoy you in, in my home and it's been a real pleasure having you on here. Uh before I let you go though, I wanna ask you about one of your uh more recent episodes of um Sporkful was we're big Star Wars fans here, so you had a uh, how to use the force to stir risotto. That was a great episode um, Big 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 Star Wars guys around here uh, It sounded like you the whole panel there that you had on the show was all Star Wars people How do you get so intricate of coming up with the good guys the only the good guys eat food in Star Wars? And none of the bad guys do and then there's the whole job of the hot job of the hut frog thing But I mean where do you guys come up with that?
4: Yeah, that, I I I think that actually popped into my head while we were in the middle of conversation. You know, I don't know that I had even planned. I don't know, maybe maybe I thought of that beforehand. It's just a matter of like, you know, before I tape any show or tape an interview, I, I, I like to try to I'll, I'll engage with the related work, whether it's someone's book or their uh, mo- a movie or a or song or food or whatever it is. I always want to try to engage with it, but then I also try to like spend time kind of just reflecting. You know, like I like to have time before taping to just kind of daydream on the subject and um, put on my headphones and stare into space for <laughs> a half an hour. Sure, sure. And you know, it's important to have that time. And when you think about it, you know, like like I started just thinking like, how is food used in Star Wars? And you know, is there a pattern? That's what I started thinking. Like, is there a pattern? And I thought about you know, different patterns that could exist. And I was like, well, I wonder is there a difference in the way the good guys and the bad guys eat. And then I'm trying. I started trying to think of times that I saw the bad guys eat, and I couldn't think of one. And and I, it just occurred to me in preparation for this episode, thinking about all the all the most well known food scenes in the Star Wars movies, they all involve the good guys. And so I was like, well, that's that seems interesting. Why might that be? So we discussed that a little bit, and I was at, and I think we sort of landed on the theory. Well, like, well, maybe it's because it, you know, when you see people eat, it kind of it humanizes them, or or or. I mean, I guess some of the some of the people, some of the characters who eat in Star Wars aren't humans, um, but it 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 makes them feel more uh, relatable and and it makes it easier to root for them. Whereas the bad guys all sort of seem seem like these cruel, cold, uh, unfeeling people or, or beasts, uh, so you never see them eat. So it never makes them st- they never seem as as uh, as a result, so, so you don't feel bad when they get killed.
0: Yeah, that that's, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it was a great episode. Um, Thanks. It, I've been again. I've been trying to catch up on your podcast uh, all morning, actually. And you guys have something great new called Ask Mimi. Can you tell us about Ask Mimi?
4: Yeah, Ask Mimi is a new spinoff podcast that we created. Um, it's on Stitcher Premium. Uh, if, you, if you get that, we have one of the, one of the episodes featured in the Sporkful uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's an advice show uh, starring this woman, Mimi Sheridan. She's a legend. She's been, been a food critic for 60-plus years. She's just turned 92. She is full of opinions. And Ask Mimi is an advice show where we take live on stage. We take calls uh all, relationship advice and all different kinds of advice that people want we have celebrities comedians come by people like mo raka sashir and a major from saturday night live they come to ask me for advice and um and it's just a ton of fun and and mimi is she's amazing she's just totally such a badass um so listen to it for mimi for sure and
0: i i will wholeheartedly get behind everything you just said uh i checked it out this morning I'd never heard of her, and now I'm just—I got to find everything she's ever done. It's—it's it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, she's funny. Uh, she's witty. She's quick-witted. At 92, she's she's very quick for a lady of her age, and I think it's a beautiful thing. And I really enjoyed it, man. It was a, it was a job well done by both of you.
4: Thanks. Yeah, yeah. If you check out that there's one episode in the Sporkful feeds. If people just check out the Sporkful, um, you'll see there's one called the Sporkful Presents Ask Mimi. You can mm-hmm. check it out there.
0: Please, yeah, guys, go go do that. I know that there are a ton of our listeners who are uh, who love food just like we do, so it's well worth it. Please go do it, and uh, w- let's let let's wrap this up. Um, where can? First of all, I know you got a book, so tell us where we can find your book, and then uh, on your social media, where can we find you on social media as well?
4: Oh yeah, uh, the book is called Eat More Better. You can get it anywhere you get books. Um, social media i'm, I'm uh, at the sporkful on twitter and facebook and instagram so uh you know you find me there uh connect um, you know most of all if you can uh, subscribe to the podcast please
0: yeah go uh you can find our podcast on stitcher as well so if you're on stitcher listening to us right now just search sporkful on stitcher and go find them and, and hit that subscribe button so you can uh, get that in your feed immediately i promise you it's well worth it it's well worth your time uh there you go dan thank you very much for joining us today and if you don't have any potty parting shots like a go cubs or anything like that we'll let you out of here bud
4: uh hmm, let's get some runs let's
0: get some runs all right uh uh, you guys hang tight we'll be right back
4: this is marlin from sparty hawk cast and you are listening to beckett radio
0: All right, guys, we're back after that quick break. Nice opening segment, but here we are with, uh, well, I want to call it, uh, it's a first ever. It is, absolutely. It's a first ever. We are sitting down celebrating National Women's Month. Stephanie Carlson of Panini. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Stephanie. Please tell us who you are and what you do here at Panini.
1: I'm Stephanie Carlson, and I'm the vice president of manufacturing for Panini, and I've been making trading cards for about 28
0: years. And that's why we're having her on. <laughs> yes, us. that is awesome. That, that is the key. Like to, we thought we had cool jobs. Yeah, but that sounds a lot cooler than what she we do. She has been in the hobby for 28 years. Okay, what brought you into the hobby? Having
1: <laughs> I was doing um, manufacturing at a, a different kind of educational. Firm and the gentleman who hired me at that firm went to work for Score Trading mm-hmm. Cards, and then convinced me to drive every day from Plano all the way to Arlington <laughs> uh, to work in this industry.
0: So you you must have been good at what you did then, if he if he convinced if he wanted to yeah, yeah I'd
1: like to think so sure. <laughs> and you've been in, you've
0: been here you've been in the hobby for 28 years. How long have you been with Panini?
1: I've been with Panini since they purchased Donruss. I was with. Okay. I was with Donruss Playoff at the time that they purchased Panini and had been there, well, I guess really. I started with Score in 1990.
5: All
0: right.
1: Um, Then Score was sold to the group that did Pinnacle. Right. And the lady who had owned Score branched off and created Playoff, and we started with football trading cards. Mm -hmm. Then over some number of years, obviously, Pinnacle bought Donruss, and then they wound up in financial trouble, and the lady who had originally owned Score bought all of that back and reincorporated it into Donruss Playoff.
5: Okay. Uh,
1: I then (laughs) had a short stint from about 1999 to 2002 where I went and did um, manufacturing for Wizards of the Coast, kind of in the Pokemon heyday.
0: Took you up there to the Seattle area. Absolutely. Uh, We had had this conversation uh, off air about Seattle and – maybe not a big fan of the of the area not, not,
1: not a huge fan i mean i i have children and they always played sports and so when you play sports in the seattle area mm-hmm. in those conditions is is pretty different than playing sports in texas and sure. stuff so it, right. it was it was quite an adjustment
0: um as a i'm sorry paul I'll cut you uh, off there good, but man. as a as were you born and raised here in texas i am a native texan okay so going to texas to seattle is is, is a huge culture shock
1: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so there's something I, what, wrong with wearing fleece to a baseball game yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, i can understand that um, paul what, what were you gonna I, before i cut you off what oh, no, you know? i was just gonna
2: say that um, yeah i can only imagine like your your rain schedule was unbelievable for your four <laughs> kids trying <laughs> well to get yeah into i called the, to the games and whatnot. i
1: called a coach uh, my daughter was gonna practice with a soccer team and it was it started raining and so i called her coach and said so is practice canceled or Mm -hmm. delayed and he went well why and i said well because it's raining and he said ma'am if we didn't practice in the (laughs) rain we'd never practice so i was like okay well in texas you wouldn't do it because you wouldn't want to tear up the fields and and stuff like that so yeah it's absolutely 180 degrees different
0: yeah completely different culture um okay that's enough of that let's let's talk about Wizards, wizards of the coast i want to start there because that's a company that um i mean as as collectors, we, we don't think about it, but they've, they've produced pretty cool cards for years. They, they make magic, for, for God's sure. sake. So, um, what, tell us about your, your time and experience with Wizard. Uh,
1: actually, it was fairly similar to fairly basic trading cards that were produced in in the early 90s and stuff. Um, most of it's ink on paper. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have some, you know, cool patterned foils and, mm. and things like that. But... From the standpoint of, of that kind of printing versus what you see in trading cards today, it, it's really pretty basic print. Okay. Right. It was it was interesting and challenging based on the volumes and the the worldwide um, reach that it had and the number of languages that you had to manufacture in, and therefore, sure. you know, dealing with companies manufacturers overseas as well as as in the states. And like I say, the biggest problem was. Every, every sales meeting, it was, you know, can we get more Pokemon? Can we get more Pokemon? Right. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, I remember the time, man. They used to have, you'd sell it on the website, and it was only on there for like a, a few minutes and be sold out. And yeah. then no one had it. I mean, the local card stores didn't have it. Toys R Us was sold out of it. I mean, I can only imagine the demands that were on you to keep yeah. producing it. That's like a, it should have been like a 24-hour operation at that point. Probably just keep the print just keep the yeah, yeah. I mean
1: obviously we were dealing with uh they didn't don't physically manufacture there in the in the Seattle area, so mm-hmm. we were dealing with uh manufacturers across the country and quite frankly around the world. But sure. yeah, it's a it was a pretty twenty four seven kind of Gosh, that's manufacturing a situation.
0: That's that's nuts. Yeah, I remember those
2: days. I worked at a card shop at the time and <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> nuts. It was right. nuts.
0: So then you, you come back here to uh the great state of Texas and uh you guys you take off. Uh, you said Donruss playoff, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, that was only a football license. Is that correct?
1: Well, when I first. Came back, I mean, w- with the, the reacquisition of Donerson and stuff, they, mm. there was a baseball license, baseball but isolers, then that yeah. shortly after that was when when that organization lost the baseball license and they went more to single source kind of thing. Okay. So, so then we were back to, yes, just football. Uh, we did some Dragon Ball Z and a few other kinds of entertainment things, but primarily just just a football license.
0: Just a football license. Uh, what were some of the challenges of just having the single license then?
1: Well, I mean, obviously it's a challenge to make only one sport be f- financially sound enough to, you know, to support a whole company. I sure. mean, we didn't do nearly as many releases back then mm-hmm. and so you certainly had gaps of time that you were looking for things for people to do. I mean,
5: mm. quite
1: frankly, we could have just shut down between Christmas and New Year's or thing, you know, things like that where now in the situation with panini i mean there's there's not a lull any time and so it's it's just um it's it's way better don't get me wrong we'd right. all love <laughs> to be way busier <laughs> right. than than you know back then but you know you just had to use people wisely and so you were you were a fairly lean staff and mm-hmm. lots of people did multiple jobs and you know
2: just to to get through sure yeah cuz it's cuz now football's you know it's 365 days a year you guys are putting out right. products all year long same with basketball. Right. anything that you guys do so that uh definitely keeps the lights on for yeah, sure it definitely
0: keeps the lights on uh we asked off air if you were a collector of anything and you said if anything it would be usc stuff but you don't seek it out with that being said you've probably seen some of the coolest cards <laughs> in the history of of collecting cards probably,
1: absolutely yeah uh, I mean, yeah. It,
0: does anything come to mind when, when you when you think about some of the coolest things you've seen?
1: Well, pr- I, I probably think of some of the more recent things. Um, and some of the coolest things to me are the things that were difficult to manufacture okay. and then came out like you expected. So probably the coolest thing I think we've done for a while is... Um, when we put the – when when USA Soccer changed their logo and did the new logo and mm-hmm. we did their entire logo in mm. diamonds and rubies and, sure. and sapphires, and we'd never – we had put single stones in cards and things like that, but – and this is just off the top of my head – I think that card had probably somewhere 60 to 80 stones in it, and figuring out the, the mathematics of how close they could be or mm-hmm. how many you could put in – whether it's columns or rows or, or things like that, and uh, you know that we managed to get it made in the first try is sure you know, was spectacular for me.
0: Going to print with something like that is—it's it, yeah. mind-boggling, first of all, uh-huh. I and mean, it has to be very intimidating too. Because if it doesn't come out right on the first time, I mean, how many process, how many, how yeah. many more so, are yeah. you going to have to do? <laughs> right. you <know>? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's not something you want to try over and mm. over. But I mean, obviously, that—that that was the thought that. Mm. I mean we were very hopeful that we'd managed to get it made in about two or three tries. We'd have been very happy sure. with that. Awesome. But you know, got it on the first one, so it was good.
2: Awesome. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Sweet. All right. So what is so you've seen tons of products just like you was talking about. What what is what was the first product that you actually worked on? You said you worked at SCORE in nineteen ninety. Was it actually um, the
1: very first product I worked on was probably I was trying to think whether it was score baseball or football, I started in June, so it might have been, it could have been either one. I mean, obviously, baseball season was Mm -hmm. still in full swing, and football was coming up close, but, so it was probably either one of the others of those. Missed 89 football by, you know, just a little
0: bit, (laughs) bit, (laughs) bit, so... (laughs) Um, geez, the Score had a big hockey presence then too. And Mar- yes, we did. Uh, Martin, Martin Brodeur's rookie card. Yeah. And so well, and, and that's when you know we
1: d- we did the first kind of little exclusive autograph deal with Eric Lindros. Right. Then exactly. He did the little, I think it was a five card set of autographs yeah. or something like that. It sure so was.
2: Yeah. And then he had a baseball card too. And then too he had a baseball <laughs> card. And 91, and yeah. 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 Ni- yeah Ninety one, I think it was. The do traded you,
0: set. Do you have a favorite product that maybe you worked on in the nineties that you were, you were pr- real proud of?
1: I, it was uh, probably one of the, the fun things that I worked on. That is probably fairly commonplace now. Was the first time we printed on leather. Okay. Uh, you know, to figure out whether you had a foil stamp and then print on top of that, or whether you could get ink, make it stick to leather, and things mm-hmm. like that. We did the little football shaped oh, yeah, yeah, cards yeah. with the players on. Them. That was a playoff product. Right. Um,
0: Playoff. I think momentum. it was in the, I think yeah, it was yeah. in
1: the early 90s or, or somewhere in the 90s. Was well, so. call it called yeah. like
0: uh, Hog Wild or? Well, pig we did skins yeah, yeah,
1: we did pigskins, yeah. we did Hog Wild, mm-hmm. and um, oh, we probably had another. Name you had or a, two yeah, you had one in momentum.
2: Like I can't think of the name of it, but yeah, you've done that design a couple of times. Yeah, yeah those, those are fun. those are cool for sure. You
0: find them in uh, Absolute now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was
1: al- it was always fun to talk to whoever we were doing manufacturing with and say, oh, we've got this idea, we want to try, and everybody's kind of like, well. It seems like we ought to be able to do this. You know. You just kind of talk through it and mm-hmm. go, seems like it ought to work. But sure. you know, then when you start trying to actually do it, sometimes, right. sometimes you run into some issues and stuff.
2: So <laughs> have you had to scrap a lot of products over the years? Has there been something that you just had to – that just wouldn't work?
1: Uh, not that immediately comes – I can't think of oh, okay. anything that we – that we attempted for a product. That before we launched even that product, we said this just this it, it just doesn't you. work. We may have done some testing for some ideas that that we never managed to get to get rolling what and bad. stuff. But once we kind of committed to put it in a product. It may not have exactly looked like we had originally <laughs> intended, but sure. you know, but we felt like it was it was still quality product and obviously the consumer didn't know what the original concept was. Right. Mm-hmm. So you kinda go, well, that's not exactly what I thought it would be, but uh, that's okay. Yeah, as long as they like yeah. it. As long as they yeah. buy
2: yeah. it, that's all that matters.
1: Yeah. But sure. Probably the one where we did the the video trading cards were the
0: uh, yes. most <laughs> uh,
1: some of the most challenging oh, I'm sure. we've done. That probably didn't turn out as well as we hoped. But.
0: I remember those. uh yeah. Justin Blackman. Justin Blackman. I pulled a Justin Blackman. What, it, what I wanna get it cause uh Upper Deck did one too that kind of came out around the same time. Yeah. Uh so it was I I'm sure the challenges were, were great on both sides, but yeah, those video trading cards were kind of a kind of a big kind of a big deal, and then they kinda went woo just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you you have also been a part of some really cool hand collated products, obviously, uh, as you as you run things here. So, yeah. um, how does how does the hand collation process work? I mean, I don't want you to tell me all the secrets about what goes into what pile or whatnot, but I mean, is it, that's got to be a challenge too, right?
1: Well, it is a challenge, and and certainly they have been products that are high value and high cost, and our product development team is certainly. Um, highly focused on making sure we have the kind of value equation in, in every box. And, and you want to um, make sure you know, that if you're getting 8 or 10 cards that you're not getting duplicates in teams or you're not getting duplicates in players even though it could be a different kind of card or mm, a different right. set. You, kn- you just want it to be as varied and have the value equation there as possible. So once the, the cards are all made... Um, we let the the manufacturer collate into some kinds of groups for types or value or things like that. And then the the product dev guys, along with some production people and a few other people from time to time, maybe out of customer service or acquisition, people that would still understand value and know some of those kinds of things go down. And we literally set it up on tables and they – you know, you have one from this tray and one from that tray and one from mm-hmm. the next tray, and um, they walk down and kind of pick out the cards they want that they think deliver the value, and then kind of review them and go, okay, yeah, I know I don't have any duplicates, or I do. Oh, here's here's the a same team. Let me let me get a different one here, and then we pack them up. But it's it's interesting to watch those guys after they stand out on the factory floor because we set it up in the on the same factory floor and they're like oh, oh my feet hurt oh, oh. my back hurts oh, mine. I said, okay you, s- you see all these people they stand up and do this every day all sure. day every day so right, right, right. so think about having you know good appreciation for for you know what goes into this
0: manufacturing that's a that's a tough process that i don't want to be a part of, <laughs> no, of no but i want to see the process though
2: yeah yeah we have we missed out on going to get to see the process we yeah. definitely have to go over there and yeah. see how it works yeah that's for sure
0: that's definitely for sure. All right, we've been told that you—if this place would shut down if you weren't here.
2: Oh, that's certainly that, not true. <laughs> that's what we were
0: told, and uh, by multiple people. By multiple well, people. Well, they're very kind. Um, so, yeah. what, what's a day to day for you like? What, what do you what do you what do you come in and do?
1: Well, um, I live in Plano, and our manufacturing facility is in Allen, so that is my first stop every day is to go to the manufacturing facility. So I'm usually there between a quarter to seven and seven. I okay. kind of walk the floor, see what's going on, you know, talk to people, see if there are issues, see if they've had things uh, kind of go wrong. And and it's interesting because, you know, sometimes you think you've given very clear instruction. okay. But there are times that I walk by and go, oh, wow, that's not it. You know, so um, it allows me an opportunity. And I'm not saying I catch a lot of things that have gone wrong, but it, it gives you an opportunity oh, yeah. to see that and for people to put, face with an organization and hopefully then they care a little more because they know you and they they take pride and, and they want to be very helpful and and right. they are they really are a true partner for us mm-hmm. um so i then get in here and probably like everybody then spend a reasonable amount of time going through emails and, sure. and information like that we have a number of set meetings every week, whether it's with production groups on the status of um, operations of everything, because my groups include the photo editors, the people who do imaging, the people who actually build the cards, the people who write the copy, the people who cut the memorabilia and pull the autographs and all that kind of stuff. So clearly I have, you know, uh, contact with all those groups to make sure we're reasonably on schedule as reasonably on schedule as you can yeah, kind yeah. of be in this industry. Right, right. Um, you know, then some of it is, you know, what pops up and needs to be solved and just, you know, sure, general stuff.
2: So sure. basically the place would shut down if you no. were not here. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. That is a lot of daily duties, <laughs> but that's awesome, man.
0: How much, how much can a schedule shift uh, f- back or forward if something is not right? I mean, or, or if something is right, maybe maybe you're ahead of schedule. I mean, is it weeks? Is it days? Well, we, is it
1: we aren't usually that much ahead of schedule, primarily because, you know, we may run into things like, you know, we just had meetings with our distributors and mm-hmm. they looked at our portfolio and our list, excuse me, and said, um, wow, we think this particular product would be better if it were positioned here Sure. 2 months earlier. Right. Or this one they barely say this one could slide back. I mean occasionally they do say so, you know it, right. it would be better later in the fall or something mm-hmm. like that. So it becomes complicated but but we've we've moved some some products forward by 4 to 6 weeks. Really? It's it's painful. Okay. And it may it may require overtime or it may require shift in you know because for every cause there's a reaction well you can have this but there's going to be a mm-hmm. ramification and we may be back to you to say could could this one if, if you want this one to come forward could this one move, move back, back at yeah. least a little or or some things like that um i have i have great people that that work in in those departments and are you know willing to to do overtime if that what that's what it takes to you know do <laughs> something forward or where they think it would be or you know people will then have you know nobody can have a cool idea until it's two days before the national or whatever right. but, you know so i mean so for example um the year where lebron went back to cleveland sure. and the national was in cleveland and so you know probably a week before that it was like it'd be really cool if we could make some cards of lebron and certainly we all understood why that would be really cool and why that mm-hmm. would be worthwhile to to try to do. And, you know, we did manage to pull it off. And sometimes it's like, I can tell you, we'll try. I can't guarantee you we'll make it, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll give it every effort and that kind of thing. So um, things do move around. I mean, I can't tell you that nothing ever falls behind because certainly it does. Sometimes mm-hmm. it could be... It falls behind because where it's positioned, you still have to wait for maybe photos from a photo shoot or, you know, the leagues are very good with us and work very well with us. But from time to time, it could be you're getting hung up on league approvals or you know, we're still scrambling to get autographs in or, right. trying to you make know, as least as God possible. forbid, a piece of equipment goes down at a manufacturer and it just, you know, it's just uh, that that's where you are. Right. So that
2: makes sense.
0: Working with leagues, um, I'm sure is not always a happy, shiny rainbow place. It, it I'm sure it has its challenges as well. But uh, you guys seem to pair partner together well with what you what you're doing the way the schedule of products and everything and you're juggling many different leagues there um how, how do you do how do you deal with that and stay on top of that because it seems like it would be just a pain in the butt sometimes
1: well, it can get complicated and stuff. Uh, basically, we have project management teams that are kind of divided by sport. Okay. So the project manager who deals with the NBA is different than the project manager who deals with the NFL. So okay. that allows them to kind of keep, you know, their little batch of programs, you know, mm-hmm. on track and online, even if you have, you know, six or eight that need to come at it nearly the same time they're they're not likely to be the same sport and therefore you have somebody dealing with baseball somebody else dealing with football somebody else with basketball
0: sure that's uh much easier than the picture i had in my mind
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that one little person running <laughs> around one little, one little person running on
0: a, on a hamster wheel just trying yeah. to get all that done but that's that makes a lot more sense um uh, Sorry, I sounded so ignorant when I asked that. No, not a problem. Man. We <laughs> so, don't know the process. Yeah, right? we don't. Yeah. Yeah. We don't
2: know. We've never been on this side of things. So,
0: has has a league ever told you just flat out no, you can't do this? Sure, sure. I mean, sure. does it happen often or does it?
1: It doesn't happen. Uh, it doesn't happen very often. Um, the, the example that comes to my mind is when we want to do something that's more like a fans of the game sure. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we may present somebody who. Is in fact a real fan of the game, but for whatever reason, a league doesn't want that, that person included in their product. Okay. okay. And sometimes it's just as simple as we don't think they have any affiliation with our sport per right. se. Okay. Um, and sometimes it's we don't think that's the, the face we want to put out for our sport or makes me wonder I'm how sure the there's been some other
5: times, but
0: <laughs> makes me wonder how all those Dick Vitale Buccaneers cards got made. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't like Dick Vitale. <laughs> His voice is annoying. Anyway, I'm sure people can say the same thing about me. Um, that, that's uh, that's interesting that a league would tell you, uh, would just flat out say, no, but I'm, uh, just like Panini, they want to protect their, protect sure. their brand, sure. so it makes I total sense. I mean, that's sense. their job, uh, is to protect their brand. Exactly. That mm-hmm. oh, makes a lot of sense with that stuff. Now, I'm looking around the room, and uh, these three pitchers here, uh, first of all, Sterling Sharp. That's amazing. Uh, he was my favorite football player growing up. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense that he's on the wall because I love him, uh, Marcus Allen, and then Rick Meyer of all people. <laughs> <laughs> they went. They went two it for had three. Had to
1: be in the right year. You yeah. Know? I mean,
0: <laughs> they went two yeah. for three. Yeah, they went two for three. These are cool. Is this is this a original playoff art? Is that, is that what this oh, is? Uh,
1: well, actually, they were they were all painted by um, like a fantasy artist named Julie Bell. Okay. And they were about a six card set in a playoff product in uh, obviously 1994 since that says 94 on the right right in there so uh, those, those
0: are really cool yeah i like those a lot the, is, is there stuff hanging on the wall that here because there's all kinds of stuff hanging on the wall in, in this building do you walk by and go oh i did that or oh i see that oh, or, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> especially these kinds of of set where where we used to a lot of times um, frame cards out of particular sets okay um you know so you, you'll have base cards and then some of the different inserts and things like that that were in a particular set like i say that one is a leaf brand or whatever quantum leaf from quantum
2: 2000 leaf. 2001. Okay. 2001 yeah
1: yeah you know so yeah unfortunately sometimes when i walk around and say i did that and i did this it, like <laughs> i'm getting really old a <laughs> lot of these things but yeah well, you
2: have a ray lewis piece in your office don't you so is it that who that was in your office? No, maybe that was in your office. I saw a really cool Ray Lewis piece that had a whole bunch of cards on it. Maybe that wasn't your. office. Yeah, that wasn't was um, You have a couple well, of things on your, your wall. Is like it something more like a that. collection like that? Yeah, yeah, you have a couple of those on your wall too. Yeah, I've got a few of
1: those on my wall. Okay. That could be. I don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then obviously, you know, you might see the old Diamond Kings paintings, way back from when we really did them with absolute artists doing. Right, paintings and stuff, and then turning that into into card work and stuff. So, what was
2: his name Perez? Right? Who was the guy that did the artwork originally?
1: Oh, actually, we had we a number a of artists. Oh, okay. Yeah, Art we probably no. dealt with I don't know six to twelve over the years. Oh, okay. uh, one person could not have gotten got them all, all painted this, yeah. in yeah. time to, <laughs> to, to do a set. So,
0: so um, I want to ask you one more question. You've been you've been in the hobby for twenty eight years. What do you think the biggest Innovation in the hobby has been. I mean, in the '90s, it was it was jersey cards, you know. And, uh, and then you mentioned the the video cards that you guys try to do. What do you think the the, the thing that's stuck that, like, that you, I don't know. I don't, well, to really? Say I, I,
1: it's not going to seem like an innovation, but but from when I started in this business, mm-hmm. you know, the addition of autographs okay. in in product is probably the and it was an innovation at the time. Yes. Uh, is probably the one that has held and stuck and had the most value and the most longevity and you know all that kind of stuff. So many of the things you know that's, that's what, there's not a lot of new stuff to sure. do at this stage. Right. So a lot of the things um, that we do now, are you can do them a few times and then you gotta you gotta let them go. I, I guess the other potential. Piece of longevity would be doing, um, you know, foil cards and patterned foil mm-hmm. cards, sure stuff yeah. like that.
0: All nineteen color prisms.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> a, yeah. But, yeah, but that's what people like, man. They love that rainbow. They like yeah. that guess, rainbow.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I used to
1: work with a gentleman who said, "Flash is cash." So Flash is yeah, cash. That was and That, his, is, you that know,
5: is so true. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: that is so cool. true on many mm-hmm. levels. Well, mm-hmm.
0: uh, I told you twenty five minutes, uh, and it's been twenty five minutes. Wow. So um, I first of all, Paul and I want to thank you. For coming on uh, making the time this is your first interview yes thank you
1: for making me very comfortable this is my first interview (laughs) probably will be my last interview so you know we we hope uh, it's been a pleasure
0: well thank you very much um uh, again we're celebrating uh national women's month and women in sport and in the hobby and uh you've played an important role in the hobby for 28 years and no, no, people who might not have known your name. So I hope Probably that they, not. I hope and you that know
1: what, I'm a behind the scenes kind of person. So it's perfectly fine that nobody knows my name, but
0: that's, they're going to know it now. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm real happy to uh, have had you on. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. All right, guys, you hang tight and we'll be right back. Awesome. Hi, this is Matt Salmon, host of the Wax Ecstatic Podcast. You are listening to Beckett Radio and hey, make sure you've got fat packs for everybody. All right, Paul, quick break, and we are back again. This time with a guy that led off his major league career, his first at bat with a double to win the game. That's awesome. I, I don't know how you – I mean, outside of a home run or a triple. But he won a game. He so won a So that's like, yeah, that's awesome. Kyle Farmer of the Dodgers. With us. What's up, Kyle? Hey, just hanging out. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you very much for uh, making the time. How many autographs did you just sign? I Do you know? I think
3: that was 1,400. <sighs> Yeah, jeez. That was a did, lot. did you finish? Did I, you did, yeah, you I did. Finish. Finish, okay, yeah, are you Okay, good deal. So, good deal. our, uh, our that, dude, do you
2: get a remote control car or something?
3: I didn't. know. I have to sign like a thousand more. I think I'm. <coughs> I think I'm gonna probably going to go home, take it to the house. Okay, yeah, I got next. you. Yeah. All right, all right, that works. I'll probably I'll buy one if I really want one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> our guy, uh our Brandon Woodruff, was was here last night. Uh-huh. He signed it, almost just two about two thousand, thousand cars last thousand. night. We and I was like, he was dying. Like, should you? You want to go home? I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's geez. all you got to do. That's tough. That's but, crazy. man, that was great. All right, so, hey, let's talk about that hit. Let's talk about that double, man. What was going through – first of all, who were you facing? And then what was going through your mind at the plate?
3: Uh, I, you know, I, I completely forgot who I was facing. <laughs> uh, I don't know his name. Uh, I, I mean, everything's kind of a blur, but um, I was the last guy on the bench. And, I, you know, watching the game, you recognize and you see how the game works. And Sure. A pitch hit, um, Doc, Dave Roberts, our manager said, Farmer, you're going to hit for Cody because Cody, it was a double switch and something like that happened. So I walked up there and then, you know, stepped at the plate and looked back and there's Buster Posey. Oh, wow. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sick. Yeah. Let's get in. I'm back in the game, <laughs> you know. Um, but um, took the first pitch. I mean, it, well, I'll back up a little bit. It was pretty surreal here and, you know, making his major league debut. Sure. Or yeah. 65, left guard number. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I sat in the box, and everything was the same. A little nervous. The legs were shaking a little bit after the first pitch. Took the first pitch. It was a slider for a strike. Swung through the next one, fastball at 96. Uh, so I was down to 2 And I worked the count of 3-2. Wow, that's amazing. That kind of patience. Yeah, I worked the count of 3-2. Then I shot the right field. Um, ran around second, saw JT score, and then I looked up and there's a white wall of jerseys running at me. And <laughs> my roommate, my, my roommate now, and my roommate in college, Alex Wood, uh-huh. we both went to the University oh, okay. of Georgia. Yeah. He was the first one to meet me. He tackled me to the ground, and then nice. Puig ripped my jersey off. And I don't wear an undershirt, so I was topless on national TV on you know, <laughs> Sunday Night Baseball. Nice. I still have a scar on my back from the dirt scratching me. They were dragging me, so I mean it was. My family was there. It was it was pretty cool. No, <laughs> Dodgers going wild. That's yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
0: He said you know, University of Georgia, and I had actually forgotten that. But if you could do me a big favor right now, we have a big fan of the show. His name is Joey Schreiber. Big UGA fan. Oh, really? Could you just give him a shout out? Say what's up, Dub. <laughs> what's up, Dub? Yeah. What's up, Dub? That's all you got to say. What's up, Dub? Go there, dogs. There you go, man. That's he'll be awesome. he'll be ecstatic. Yeah. I, I promise that's you. Awesome. Uh, he's right. he's the biggest UGA fan ever. All right. <laughs> he is. No, he <laughs> is. No, he is.
3: No, sure. The national championship oh, hurt
2: me. Yeah
3: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a bummer.
0: So how many spring trainings have you been to?
3: I got drafted in 2013. So this is my, I guess, fifth? No, fourth one. Your fourth one? Yeah. So
0: what's the progression like from 2013 to now? What What are you doing and seeing different now, differently now from your first time up to, to now? Right. So <clears throat> I played short. Mine's a little different.
3: Um, I played shortstop my entire life. I got drafted as a catcher. So oh. I never caught before oh, in wow. my entire life. Wow. So, you know, first spring training was kind of like, let's get my feet underneath me and learn how to do this. And then I progressed a lot coming up to now. And um, this is my third big league spring training. And I um, feel more comfortable behind the plate, playing some third base now as well. Okay. So, um, but, you know, y- you learn a lot from veteran players like Chase Utley, Justin Turner, you know, all those guys. I mean, sure. you learn so much about the game and the way you go about your business and, and having respect for the game. Um, sorry about the sneeze. And um, well, you see a lot.
0: Yeah, sure. With now, uh, he was just uh, – who was just with us? Let me look. DJ. DJ Peter. Yeah, DJ. He, he was just talking about uh, Chase. What have you learned from Chase? Because he said, like Chase is just a wealth of knowledge.
3: Yeah, well, I, mean, I haven't. I mean, what haven't I learned from Chase? I mean, it's <clears throat> just in-game stuff is incredible. You know, yeah. reading a pitcher, whether he's tipping his pitches or not. Uh-huh. Um, you know, questioning about what the, what you do in this situation and whatnot. But the biggest thing he does is as long for he's played what 15 years in the game. Right. Right. Um, his routine has stayed the same. Wow! So I think learning how to do have a routine and sticking to it, no matter if you're in a slump or, or you're hot as a bottle rocket, you know, it's you're you stick to your routine and that's the way the way it goes.
0: Sure, sure. Very cool. Now, Paul, you were asking about collecting. Yeah, once
2: we're collectibles podcast, we'll, we'll tone it back to that side of things. Yeah. So as a kid, were you a, were you a baseball card collector as a
3: kid? <clears throat> I was. Yeah. Me and my buddy, uh, his name's Jeff Irvin. <laughs> Uh, grew up. There's a baseball card shop in Atlanta, and we'd go to it every day, and it's still around now. And i okay. still go to it and just check in and say, Which hey, one is say? it? Shout it out. I forgot the name. It changes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's why you don't let
0: giants drive cars. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's crazy.
3: But uh, it changes name. Good Lord. <laughs> it changes names all the time. But he uh, oh, okay. collect, collects autographs and stuff like that. So I, I got... Last year, I walked into a store and showed him the video of my walk-off, and he was like, holy crap, you yeah. were in here when you were five looking at baseball That's cards, awesome. and now they're going to have some of you. So it was pretty cool.
2: That is pretty cool. Now, do you still collect cards now?
3: Uh, no, I collect uh, signed baseball. So, cl- okay. So okay. Uh, last year, I got uh, Sandy Koufax, uh, Buster Posey, Mark McGuire, okay. um, Kershaw, Utley, uh, Manny Moda. All those guys. So hopefully this year I will get some more. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so man. I got a big thing in my house, my new townhouse that I have me and my fiance live in, and I, baseballs are just all Everywhere. over it. So yeah, it's that's cool. that's awesome.
2: Very cool. Now, what is it like having your own card? You know, you, you, oh, you chase cards when you were a kid. Now you can chase you can chase yeah, yourself I mean, technically if you wanted to. Yeah,
3: um, you know I, it's really cool. My, but my mom, I think it. Yeah. You know, mom and dad, I think it's pretty surreal for them. Uh, they, you know, they saw me growing up collecting them, and they right. were like hopefully one day you'll have your own and then it happened you know mm-hmm. and so um when she my mom opened the first box i got sent to the house when i was in like 2014 and she was just like this isn't this isn't real i was like i know i just, uh, just uh, it was a proud mama yeah i was just in rookie ball but you know hopefully one day we'll get some 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 more but uh it, it's really cool that's yeah. awesome good deal, we, we
0: don't have our own baseball card we really have our own card over there we but do but it's not quite it's yeah. not quite it's as not as but cool i like the, the ones the
2: that are framed yeah. are those like your well, rookie cards yeah <laughs> actually, <laughs> no, hey, uh, we had a sketch artist who from actually georgia like, from georgia yeah jason crosby who does a lot of stuff for um you does know some the of georgia the georgia stuff he does some of the he has he has, products, he has he does some of the other um ones. so he actually did that for us and then uh i'm a huge garbage pail kid fan so he actually made me my own Garbage Kid which Look was kind of cool. Uh, yeah. that really cool. So, yeah, so he did that kind of stuff for us, which was cool. And then Brett Naughton actually did the design for this card. And then one of our fans actually made this actual into a baseball card That's for slick. us. Well, you so have to sign one for me. Then.
3: We will, yeah, absolutely. We will definitely sign one for, for you.
2: Um, but, yeah, I, I, listen, man, I listen to podcasts all the time,
3: drive and travel and sure, stuff. Yeah. Sure, I love them. Well, if, love
0: them. if you're still into collecting and memorabilia and stuff like this, this is a podcast for you. It's every, it's every Thursday, yeah. and we we like clockwork. We have a show, and this month is National Women's Month, so we're, we're interviewing women in sports or oh, in the hobby. That's uh, sick. Yeah. Last week we had Miss Stephanie Carlson on. She's over there in the room. She's, yeah. she's worked for Panini for when well, she's been in the business for twenty eight years. Wow. And she's never done an interview until last week. No yeah. what? It was ridiculous, yeah. right? <laughs> so, but she's not but she's one. Got some yeah. yeah not
2: the Lombard from Panini goes out without her looking at it. Yeah. She's seriously. Like, yeah. She is the woman. Yeah. So oh, wow. yeah, she goes right to the press. She's She's, she checks it all at the yeah. press. She's QC. She's everything now. She's gonna try to operate this car, and that yeah, might yeah, not be a, be a good idea. idea. her. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but <so laughs> cars and she knows more than, than anybody in this room by far. That's cool. Yeah, so, that's it's yeah, really cool. It's
0: really cool. But, um, so how many home runs Are you going to hit this year? Uh, uh, twenty. I got you know, twenty-three in spring training. Yeah, no, you got three. So yeah, you got twenty. Not bad. Just how many at how many bats am I gonna get? That's the question. You're gonna get oh. enough to hit twenty. I believe. Okay. I believe. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you, you too though. Okay. There you go. That's cool. We'll, you get twenty
2: replay this podcast when he hits this 20. Exactly.
3: We'll do that again. <laughs> you know what I'll think about you guys when I hit my twentieth. How about
0: the please oh, that? Please yeah. do that. Then get a dodger dog and just like, man, this yeah. is great. Yeah, we're dodger all about food. So good old buddy <laughs> watcher. Huh? Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> That'll work. With, so one, one more question, I'll let yeah, you out of here. What's it like playing at Chavez Ravine? I mean, it's we've been there. It's beautiful. I, I honestly think it's probably the most beautiful setting in all of baseball because of the way it sits in the middle of the yeah. mountains. But what, what's it like for you?
3: Um, gosh, man. I mean, the day games are awesome, but the best is the night. And you hear them. You, I mean, you hear them saying, "Let's go, Dodgers!" Right. And, and it's like it gives you goosebumps. Sure. And then, um, so I made the, I was on both playoff rosters last year. And then I was on the World Series roster. I added Brandon McCarthy uh-huh. to, the, to the bullpen they had to take me off. Yeah. And. Um,
0: the Texas here, guy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah TCU, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
3: And so, um, hearing your name getting called out and going on out the national anthem in the World Series. Yeah. And hearing those planes fly over in Dodger right. Stadium with the fireworks going. <laughs> I mean, you can't dream of it any better than that. Vince Scully
0: said your name. Think about that.
3: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wish I had a recording of it. Yeah. Um That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, watching um, all those baseball movies he's in it's it's yeah. I mean, for the love of the game. I mean, how can sure. you like that? But Dodgers Stadium is it's in no place like. I mean, I grew up, I grew up a Braves fan and going to Turner Field and Fulton County Stadium, it was it was cool. But, you know, the history of the Dodgers is it's it's almost like ghost or walking around that stadium. It's really cool. Right. Awesome. Right.
0: All right, man. We know you got some things to do. Uh, you're going to go open some flawless. You're going to open right? some flawless. flawless. That flawless. is legit stuff. It is. I can't uh, wait to see it happen. But uh, thanks for joining us, man. We yeah. really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Number appreciate 20, it. Dodger Dogs are on me, okay? I hey, love that. All That's right, it, buddy. Thanks, that. man.
3: Yeah. Did you want me to do that?
2: This is RBI Crew 7 from St. Louis, Missouri, and you're listening to Fat Packs on Beckett Radio.
0: All right, guys, best of March 2018 all wrapped up in a pretty little bowl for you. Again, that was Dan Pashman, Stephanie Carlson, and Kyle Farmer of the Dodgers. Great lineup there. That's just the kind of of segments we're bringing to you each and every week here on the Fat Packs. Uh, Loving the hobby love that you guys are giving us. Again, it's just such a blessing and an honor to be a part of this thing with you guys, and we really appreciate all the love that you show us. All right quick thoughts. Um, Dan Pashman was I got a little sidetracked there with him talking about Mark Marin. I've loved Mark Marin's podcast WTF. It's it was one of the first two podcasts I ever started listening to. So um, hearing his thoughts about Marin were really great, especially since he worked so close with him. and uh, I, I know I probably got a little sidetracked there and I'm sorry about that, but it was, that was a selfish moment of my on my part. I hope you don't mind because I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Stephanie again 28th year in the hobby running things over at Panini she, there's not there's not much that goes on over there that she doesn't see or know about and it was such a, a breath of fresh air to hear a female's perspective on the hobby who's, who sits up that high in, in the industry um, I've said it off air and candidly to other people but uh, there's a lot of egos here in this hobby there's, there's a lot of egos and I don't think that she was one of them she was just she was so nice. She was so uh, gracious and just opening herself up and opening her experience up to us, and being able to sit down and talk to her about those things was uh, really a lot of fun. Enjoyed that a lot. And then Kyle Farmer. What can you say about that dude? He's a uh, you know he's one of those prospects. Well, he's a rookie now. One of those guys out there, you know, making an impact for the Dodgers. And I'm not a Dodgers fan. I'm not. I'm not going to lie and say that I am or anything like that. But it was fun. It was a breath of fresh air to talk to him because he was just he was just a guy. He was a collector, man. He was he had fun collecting kids in Atlanta, you know. Or I'm sorry, collecting cards in Atlanta. Don't collect kids in Atlanta. Don't do that. But collecting cards in Atlanta when you're growing up as a kid, and uh, you know that story that he told about going back to his his card shop. That's that's pretty that's pretty cool. That's pretty that's like one of those moments that very few people are ever going to get to have. Where you go back to your card shop and your you know your LCS owners like oh you know you, you were in here as a kid and now you're hitting home runs in the major leagues that's pretty cool. On the uh, on the flip side of things, I, I'm really pleased with how uh, how March went and, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. We brought you a lot of good t- content. Uh, April's looking lining up pretty well. We got our super collectors uh, lined up. The first one aired just yesterday. If you're listening to this on Friday, uh, April 6th the first one aired Friday or Thursday, April 4th with Tanner Jones. And that's a great interview. He's a Jose Canseco super collector. and He's a lot of fun. Um, coming up, we got uh, two more, two more of those lined up for you. And then we have a, no one knows this yet, but we have a, a super collector lineup, uh, in Toronto, all four hockey guys. And we're going to be doing segments with those guys. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We have, a uh, some gifts for them. Uh, at least one of them. And we're working on the other. So, uh, that's gonna be a lot of fun to present those to them, and get their thoughts on their collection and the guys that they collect. Uh, also, we just sat down and had a great interview that's gonna air uh, next week, and I don't want to spoil it, but the lady is a champ. She's such an awesome personality, and what she's doing is really cool, and it's a story that needs to be told. And I'm, I'm glad that she's doing it, and she chose to to visit with us and help and to share that story. So that's awesome. Alright guys, that's it. The best of March 2018. I don't think that you could get much better than those three interviews and if you think that you can, you just let me know and we'll uh, switch it up. Thanks for listening guys. Thanks for hanging out. Until next time,
4: Jess, keep listening. Cue the jack.
5: The headphones are pushing photo. to Mission control It's Stories to be told
4: DECODE these remotes Broke down but be behold The ill from CO Deep through the keyhole To see this one light just lurking in the darkness Won't leave living the night Punchline for fist fight Because their heads ain't fed right How can you see my brother With no perspective of sight Can't huh, do good and live right Kick snares and high hats They be the get right here they get the blind sight What? My people just my tonight. My Me and my people just might tonight all right be my people just might